0: And now, Lord, we ask that you would indeed send forth your word, that your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, would be manifest in our midst today during this time while we study your written word. Even as we study your written word, Lord, let the words of life come off the page and plant them in our heart, Lord. Give us hope um, for whatever it is that we face today. And we ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I know. Yes. Amen. We will. That's a good.
1: Are they? I didn't realize that
0: they're accompanying her home on her way home. That's good. So you must be very excited to see her. Yeah.
1: Yeah, from Nicaragua. Well,
0: are they driving or flying? Oh yes. Oh, I I thought you said driving, and I thought. How would they drive? that drive? Then they really need prayers because that's through driving through Mexico, road trip through Mexico, but instead you know, of flying, yeah. Flying today is
1: terrible. I just got in from New York this afternoon, and the safety. I guess we're glad we have the safety
0: of the security. It's a pain in the neck. You really, you have to, you know, they make you take off everything, and then you have to put it all. You have to regroup on the way back to the gate. It's just. And then you leave. I am always afraid I'm going to leave something important behind, like my passport.
1: Um, Oh, that's good. Good for you. Bravo. It depends on the security person. Sometimes you do it. And it depends on the
0: level of security, you know, how safe things are that particular day. Well, let's look at um, where we are in the Gospel of John. Does anybody remember? Um, we've been, just to recap, because we had a little break last week. We also had Thanksgiving and then the fall coffee before that. So we've had a sort of disjointed part of this uh, end part of the semester here as we look at John. Um, John, remember how um, I kind of gave you a structure for breaking down and understanding what's, what John is doing where and in the way he's telling the story about Jesus? Um, because each one of the four Gospels, remember, is, um, you know, we have it written in our Bibles as the Gospel according to St. Luke, the Gospel according to St. John. Well, this is John's telling of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. And how does John, the question of how, how does John tell? His gospel is important. It is the gospel because it is the word about Jesus Christ, the good news. But does anybody remember some of the arbitrary structure? I didn't put it on your handout, but that some commentators have given to the Gospel of John that I've shared with you. Do you remember there's one half of the book, and you call it the book of whatever, and another half, and you call it the book of something else? I know it's a test. (laughs)
1: The first half is... Jesus's uh, 30
0: years yeah well that's true well and even and and John doesn't John doesn't do what Luke does and tell us about what some of those 30 years were like he or even what Jesus's birth was like he just picks up at year 30 and starts at the beginning of Jesus's ministry so you have um, you have this prologue in chapter one which we're going to look at again we, you probably looked at it with Andrew years ago but we're gonna look at it again. <laughs> Next week, right? Years ago, since we started this, and um, and then bo- the book of signs really begins uh, in the second half of chapter one, and goes um through roughly to chapter twelve. And do you remember what that was? Signs, and it's the book of mm-hmm. signs are um. I just like to play with the Greek, so ignore me. But that's the Greek Simea, or signs. Does anybody remember what the signs are? What? Good job. Oh. Oh, okay. Thanks. oh, yeah, that's right. I Greek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. We have a Greek scholar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: does anybody remember? Well, maybe you can tell us, Margaret. Do you? you know? Do you remember what Simeon is? <laughs> she hasn't even been here. Yeah, that's right. Because they're signs. So these are signs. And the signs, why? Does anybody remember why? First of all, why does John say signs? For the miracles of Jesus. Why does he use that particular word that none of the other gospel writers use? He has a specific purpose. And I'll give you a hint. I'm not pointing to that. I'm just pointing (laughs) up.
1: The vertical. (laughs) Yeah,
0: they're they're meant to be like road signs, just like a road sign is not the place itself, 30 miles to Birmingham. Is that road sign on your way into Birmingham? Birmingham itself? No but it's showing you how to get to Birmingham. Keep going. You're on, the, on your way. Just keep going this way. And so it's like an arrow. And each one, with John's major point and Jesus' major point in John's gospel, one of them about the miracles, is don't stop here. Don't stop at the road sign and have your picnic or you know try to have a dinner party because you need to keep going on to Birmingham. Um, and so don't stop at the miracles of Jesus and say, This is it. We're less tempted to do this today because of our modernist mindset where we say, well, did they really happen anyway? Well, yes, they did. But let's not stop and build a tent right there, kind of like Peter wanting to build a tent on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's keep going into um, this belief in Jesus. And that's really the goal because the signs point to Jesus' identity as the Son of God Is that where I am comes in? That's part of it. Do you want to tell us about I am?
1: He uses it quite often in the first part of, the, of John. How
0: many times do you remember? That's sort of a pop quiz. I don't see it on here. Uh, he <laughs> uses it. I'm cheating. He I've roughly, no, that's good, Barbara. He uses it roughly seven times, and um, he uses it in the format of I am the with a direct object. I am the son of God, or, or no, because he uses, I am the bread of life, I am the, anybody else remember some of these? The I am the bread of life, I am the, the, way.
1: the, way. the way.
0: that's today, and these are peppered all throughout next week, or in ne- the next semester, in the spring we'll look at um, Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches, that's another one, um, the, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am um, the light of the world, any other ones? It's like trying to name the seven dwarfs. <laughs> but all of those, and those tell us more information about what it means to be the Son of God and what God's character is like by giving us these very tangible images, which are really helpful and really good. And those are peppered all throughout the book. Um, but the signs point to Jesus as the Son of God, and there are seven signs. And if you remember these seven major miracles that John is underlining and saying these point to Jesus... They culminate and they really crescendo in that final sign, which is the raising of Lazarus. Who is this man that can raise someone from the dead, even after he was dead, dead, dead after the third day? Who is a man like? Who is that person? Well, he's not just a man. He's the Son of God. And so all of this crescendoing, pointing to Jesus as the Son of God, all of these signs are important so that people would believe in Jesus and who he is, so that then, when we see what he does in the second half of the book, it has so much more meaning. So the second half of the book, you could say arbitrarily, is the Book of Glory. Does anybody remember why why it's kind of arbitrary I've arbitrarily, along with a history of commentators, made it the Book of Glory? It starts in Chapter 12, too.
1: Well, it's the last week of God's life,
0: Jesus' life. Exactly. Most of that second half of John's gospel is taken up with the whole last week of Jesus' life. And then some, because it goes on to, and then later on he was in Galilee and he appears to them by the Sea of Galilee for that that breakfast, that tasty breakfast of fish. Um, but the book of glory, does anybody know why we call why John called why it's the book of glory? Why? Um, does the second half have to do with glory? Anybody know? I'll give you a hint. The glory is, the, glory is this term that John takes and Jesus takes. Je- John has Jesus taking this word and this concept and redefining it. All throughout the Old Testament, glory is the way we normally think of glory. Light, inaccessible, angels, singing, um, you know, the kind of glory that we imagine when we think of heaven, beauty, streets paved with gold, and the majesty of God himself, Yahweh, in all of his holiness, in all of his power, that is glory. That causes us even to say, glory, amazing. And throughout the Old Testament, whenever you see a vision of God the Father, God himself, there is this sense in which there's a veil or a like a stage curtain that's lifted and you peek inside and get to see inside heaven a little bit and you see, whoa. And um there's that um Isaiah has that vision in chapter six where he sees the throne in heaven and sees God sitting on the throne and he falls on his face because God's glory is so incredible. His holiness in particular is so awesome that he is incredibly aware of his Humanity and his specifically his sin, his fallenness, and he falls on his face and says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. So, glory throughout scripture gives us this sense of light, height, light and height. So high and inaccessible, God's glory, his transcendence, his majesty. Well, John is saying, Yes, that's true, but God's glory is also made manifest in his humility, in his willingness to humble himself and be born as a baby in Bethlehem and then to humble himself even to the point of death on a cross. And so remember that in John, John is taking glory and saying, well, you think glory is just the heights unparalleled of God's majesty and holiness? Yes, but glory is also the low point of of the creator of the universe dying on a cross in order to redeem his fallen and broken people. So glory is used in John's Gospel specifically and intentionally to refer to the hour of Jesus' death. Um, that even that low point is not low in God's economy because that's the point when all humanity would be restored into relationship with God. And you see, I mean, we, why else do we call it Good Friday? We call it Good Friday for that same reason, that God's, um, so He's mag- He's majestic, He's glorious and high and exalted. He is also humble and um, sacrifices his own his own self um, to be able to redeem us. Any questions about that? So that's why it's the book of glory because once we get to chapter twelve, Jesus uh, remember in chapter twelve, we just studied this. He's saying bye bye everyone to the crowds. I'm going away. You're not going to see me come believe He wants them to believe, even though he knows he's going away. It's like limited edition mm-hmm. on sale now, must n- walk, don't run. Um, you can only get it now for this price, buy, buy, buy. I mean, which is what we're hearing all all this month, especially. But um, (laughs) Jesus is saying, come and believe. Now is the time to believe because he's going away and he knows that they might not have the chance. Um, Believe now while you have the chance. And then he he does indeed hide himself. And he hides himself almost as though he's cloistered in that upper room. And that's where we've been since chapter 13. And remember that... Chapter 13, 14, I'm actually, now I'm finally on your aisle line, so I'm in the upper room. Chapters 13, 14, 15, wait for it, 16, 17, all five of those chapters are just about Jesus in the upper room. Um, And uh, there's this wonderful Mahalia Jackson gospel song that we would always play in my house when I was a kid growing up. And so I think of, I I can't say the phrase in the upper room without hearing this wonderful crooning. In the upper room, I won't sing it because I can't do it justice. In the upper room with my Lord. And um, so there's that sense of the disciples are cloistered away with their Lord, their God, with Jesus Christ, their teacher in that last night before his death. And there are so many things. There are two main events that happen in the upper room. One of them we know about from the other Gospels, and that's the Lord's Supper. John doesn't feel the need to tell us about the Lord's Supper because he knows we probably already know about it from the other Gospels. He tells us about the washing of the disciples' feet, which, remember, occurs in chapter 13. And we looked at that, that Jesus washes the disciples' feet, even those disciples that he knew would deny or betray him. He washes Judas' feet. He washes Peter's feet." And we saw, do you remember, if you were here, we did a little bit of a diagram of the seating f- seating arrangement at that Last Supper, which um, was probably not like the way da Vinci had it, even though we love that um, iconic painting, that masterpiece of da Vinci's. Um, that's sort of the image that's burned in our brain about how the seating looked like at the Last Supper. But that's probably very incorrect, because we know that, remember, that they reclined to eat so they would eat like this with their right hand. And what that meant, um, I did a little logic problem with us all that day, remember? And Judas was at the seat of honor right next to Jesus. And it's almost as though Jesus, by his actions, is extending himself in love to Judas, almost as though he's saying, don't do it. Just like the way he said to the crowd, come on, believe in me. There's one more chance, one more chance, one more chance. as though he's also saying to judas you don't have to do this you have one more chance believe in me i love you don't do this and judas does it anyway and so um, so then we have jesus prophesying about his death and right before we get to chapter 13 he said he said to peter peter remember um, didn't want him to wash his feet and um and jesus said unless i wash you you have no part of me um, and then in that towards the end, um, Peter says, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. Um, I would lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, um, prophesies and said, you will betray me three times. You will deny me, or not betray me, deny me. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows this morning. And so it's right at that point that we get to the passage that we're studying today. Um, so let's read that passage. And... Um, if, you're, if this is your first class, what we do is we tend to go around and read a couple verses. So um, it's like popcorn. If you feel like, I want to read a couple of verses, just go for it and read a couple of verses, and then someone else can take a turn after you. So we're reading verses 1 through 14 in chapter 14 of John. So I'll start us out. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And my Father's house are many rooms.
1: No one comes to the Father but by me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? Do you still do not know your faith. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show, me, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own heart, but the Father who dwells, dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have in you, he will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the you. And I will do the best whatever you ask in my mind. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father, you may ask me for me, and I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give me another counsel to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you.
0: Thank you. Um, Do you see that um, their hearts are troubled at the beginning? That first verse, um, "Let not your hearts be troubled." Jesus knows that their hearts are already troubled because he said he's going away. He's prophesying about his death. He's saying that they'll they won't follow him anymore. Peter will. um, That they he's already said that one of them would betray him, and Judas has gone out. And then Peter would deny him. So in the the construction of the grammar there in that first verse, it doesn't translate very well into the English. But essentially what he's saying is, um, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Their hearts are already troubled. And he's saying, stop. And then he tells them why. And he says, um, even though he is going and going away and leaving them, and they don't understand where he's going, but he says, I'm going, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, does anybody remember the um, the older King James version of this particular passage? Um, does anybody know the phrase, in my father's house are mansions? Which is such an, an incredible image, and we have to listen to that image and say, well, does that mean like a mansion mansion for us? No. Um, what it means is that there's there's a place. I love that, You know, I, I do love the poetry of the King James, but the sense that there is a place. We don't know where it is, but the one thing we know is that um, mm-hmm. Jesus is already there. Um, he's gone ahead, so it's the place where Jesus is, and that there are specific places for each one of us that believe. There is a home for us there, a new home heaven is our home our true home our eternal home and that jesus paves the way for us Um, by his death and resurrection and ascension he has paved the way for us to our home and so there's great comfort that comes from this that um... where else can we go as the disciples said in chapter six um, some, dis- some people fell away from believing in Jesus earlier in John's gospel. And Jesus turns to the, go- to the disciples and says, Do you want to go away too? Are you done with me? Have you had enough? And they respond, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Messiah. Where can we go? except to be united in Jesus. And so for those um, who believe in Jesus and say, Lord, where else can we go? No one else has the words of eternal life. Um, then we are united in, um, through faith with Christ. And so as he goes on to prepare a way, we know that we too will follow him um, to that place.
1: Deborah, is he talking about the second coming in, in this area? When say, I go and you'll follow me, is that the second coming? Look at
0: verse three. Do you want to read verse three for us, Barbara?
1: will take
0: Yeah, that sounds like the second coming to me. Good eye that he's uh, it's very appropriate for Advent. Thank you. I didn't put that on my on my outline but you're absolutely right. Jesus goes. Um, well, he comes the first time, baby, baby in Bethlehem, and he comes the second time, um, and we know that he'll come back and take us to be where he is. And then we also know that when we die, there is a place for us um, in him. So whether he comes back before we die or we die before he comes back, we will be with him. So okay, I've got a
1: question. It's please. Going to be, it's going to be That's okay. From what we do. I'll dive down the bunny
0: trail, or I might not. But.
1: <laughs> In one of our passages, I think it was when Andrew was teaching maybe Uh a month ago, Uh um, Lazarus was with Abraham, Uh and the Uh rich man came over, Uh and he said um, something, I can't remember exactly all the words or whatever, but my question is, I thought Lazarus would be with God, but he was in this place where Abraham was instead.
0: Oh, the idea is that Abraham's with God. Well,
1: <laughs> but it sound like there was another holding place for you to stay until the second coming. Did Andrew say that? That's what he said. Yeah, he did. That's interesting. Well, maybe I maybe I heard it wrong.
0: Well, that sounds like a conversation for me and Andrew to have. But I but, but the, we, here's the thing: we don't know. That's the thing. When we try to understand what is life after death like. What is life after death like for those who believe in Jesus or not? All we have to go on are Jesus' words, which is a lot, you know, and that's good assurance. We know that um, there's life after death. We know that there's a coming judgment. We know that those who believe in Jesus will have his own righteousness placed before us so that our sins will not be counted against us, but rather God will see, look at us, and see Jesus in his spotlessness and say, welcome into Welcome into fellowship with me. Um, what the gates of heaven are open for you, and so heaven is a place where fellowship with God is the prime thing. We see all these images of streets paved with gold, and then we think of angel wings on us, which that's a cultural thing. That's
1: not Isn't in, in the Bible. Place a too? Yeah. There
0: is some idea Perfect. of a holding place until, but we don't know. Then there's also the um, the thief. Remember, okay. So first of all. Lazarus. The Lazarus in the Luke passage that Andrew was teaching on, we don't know if that we, that's a, the name of someone in one of Jesus' parables. So we don't know that that's Lazarus of Bethany. It that's just a Lazarus. No, it was
1: Lazarus that was, um, like, what was he? He was a, a beggar. Yeah. And had, the dogs um, licked his doors yeah, and he died a, and he was had, What was it? Leprosy. He had leprosy and he died. Mm-hmm. And the man wouldn't give him food from his table. The rich man wouldn't give him food from his mm-hmm. table. He let him just take the scraps from the dogs. Right. And then he, when he died, he realized that he was fixing to go to hell. He wanted, mm-hmm. like he wanted Lazarus to go back and tell his brother. Right. And he wanted
0: life. Lazarus to come and dip his finger into He wanted Lazarus to That's right. cool his, his tongue, tongue, tongue as yes. he was in agony. And, yes. and, you know, the answer was no. There's, you know, there's no crossing over. There's no, um, you had your chance, basically, in this life. And so there is, I mean, there is this sense of severity in that that there's no um, back and forth, essentially. But it, it, it's hard to know. Again, we don't know what it's going to be like I- in the afterlife. We know that if we believe in Jesus, we'll be with him, whether it's in an instant or um, whether it's at some point in the future. And we see that, too. It could be in an instant. And I had someone recently who's um, who's advanced in years and potentially, you know, we don't know the day or the hour of our Death, but this person might be, you know, closer to death certainly than 20 years ago. And this person said to me, it took me totally off guard because I didn't know this person very well. But this person said, you know, I know that when I die, I will be with Jesus because of the thief on the cross. And Jesus said to that repentant thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise.
1: Thought, well, but there again, that's today faith. is God's time. I mean, yeah, right? I know,
0: I know. Do it, you don't you love God's, love God's time? <laughs> I know, I love God's time. But there's still assurance in that. We will be with Jesus. There is a, And this passage focuses on the place. There is a place for us with Jesus when we die. And he, he has prepared it. And he's prepared it with his death and resurrection. I Ask Andrew. I'm sorry if I haven't answered it. Yeah. No, David, you will do it. Also, when we get there, I can't remember if it was
1: Andrew who said this or Gimia and Sunday school. I think it was he. He said, We'll keep on learning.
0: Oh, interesting. I do think, I mean, I do think.
1: (laughs) It's an evolution.
0: Or there's just this continual, hey, can you imagine not growing? I can't ever imagine not growing you think about our whole life is growth. What? What's that? Called
1: sanctification well, of sorrow. there's
0: this idea. I strongly believe justification. Oh, now we're getting into big theological. I went down the rabbit. You can call me Alice in Wonderland. Um, uh, the the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I. But we'll get back out of the rabbit hole in just a minute. But I just want to say one <laughs> more th- one more thing about that. Sanctification is now. That's a big theological term for righteousness, making righteous, justifying. So, or no, justification. I said sanctification, but I meant justification. Justification happens the moment you believe. The moment of faith is the moment when you're justified. In God's eyes, you are righteous. No matter what you've done in the past as you repent, um, and no matter what you could do in the future, you're righteousness right now. And sanctification is sort of that, um, that, that truth in God's eyes being made manifest in its actual working out in our hearts and in our lives. And so you see that sanctification, some bit of it seems to happen in this life, but we're still sinful and fallen. You know, I, I know some very selfish um, 90 year olds. None of them are in this room, but they're in my family. But, you know, I know, you know, and so you have to think, well, is, are we perfect? I don't know.
1: Are you perfect? <laughs> no. <worries>. I know. <laughs> you seem like it to
0: very me. Very. You, like, you seem like it to me, and you seem like it to all of us. But we know, and that's that's the truth of it. We know in our hearts, I'm not perfectly righteous. I'm not perfectly moral yet, and yet when we die, we are. So then I don't know what the continued learning is. Maybe we just get really
1: wise and well, really awesome. Well, that's what I meant really. by sanctifying. Because I think yeah. if you if you have faith and you want you want to delve into it and you want to read and you want to study and you want to learn, and so I think. To me, that's a process of being sanctified or become... That involves us. Yes.
0: And there's some joy in that involving us. Well, it, it's not up to us, but it involves us. And I will say, I do think that you might be on something, there is still some learning and growth in heaven. And the reason why I think that is because the real picture of heaven in Revelation is that heaven comes down to earth. You see the new Jerusalem descending from heaven onto earth. And so there's the sense that Um, our our life after death and when Jesus returns is not pie in the sky. It's not like we're sitting on some kind of cloud-strumming harp, which sounds so boring to me. It's rather that all creation, this whole earth, is redeemed and restored and renewed. And I love that because I love thinking about all the places that I love on earth that are really incredible that I wouldn't want to give up, that God loves too because they're beautiful, artistic, Mm -hmm. or... um, um sorry. Um sorry.
1: Wanna turn it off?
0: Um, hopefully that's not today's my day, but um so there is this sense of all these places will be renewed and restored and that some of there was work in the garden before sin entered into the world. I mean they, they were gardening, they were eating, they you know, they were doing the things that they needed to do for that. And I do think there's some sense in which there will be some gardening to do in the new heavens and the new earth, that there's still this sense of life going on and life within a material world going on. And so that involves some gardening. And I think sometimes about spiritual learning as being kind of like gardening. So if there's tangible material gardening and life going on in that respect, I do think it will go on also spiritually. Okay, so back to John.
1: Um,
0: so there are many mansions. Um, there, There is a place for us. There's a place for us. I think of that song. But Thomas said, do you love how Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And um, Jesus responds, I am the way and the truth and the life. That famous I am statement. Do you love that Thomas is asking, do you know what he's asking for? He's asking for the address
1: <laughs> of the place where Jesus
0: is going. I don't know about you, but I am so crippled by this thing because I rely on It's such a crutch. I no longer know how to get anywhere because I'm so spoiled. All I have to do is put in the directions, put in the address press start, and she will talk to me and tell me where to go, which is fabulous. And then she'll tell me if I've gone the wrong way. She'll say, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. make a U-turn. I hear that a lot. But when I when I lived in Pittsburgh, I'd moved to Pittsburgh when I was 25 to go to seminary, and I lived in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is a place where no one, they intentionally don't want you to know how to get somewhere. And it's because they had this fear that in when it was still a Big steel city, just like Birmingham, when it was a big steel city during the Cold War there was this fear on the ground that somehow there would be this nuclear war and the Russians would come in and invade the U.S. And so what they had developed was this intense belt system for driving and it was this system whereby everyone who was local and lived in Pittsburgh or in and around Pittsburgh would know how to get out of the city quickly and evacuate Without anyone being able to chase them and find them, and so I no I, I'm not kidding, it's really incredible. So this belt system was were all of these different colored belts in concentric circles around the city, or sort of in and out of the city and um and you could evacuate using them. But the great part about it was that they were never on just one road. Of course, they turned corners like every half mile or or more often. and so you had to keep your eye open for the sign that said the orange belt if you wanted to follow the belt system. So of course, so it, just think about that. Wow, their whole, the whole goal of this road system is to make it unclear for visitors to follow. <laughs> <And pretty laughs> yeah. much what
1: they did.
0: That was the intention. Yeah. And they succeeded because I'd get there and I'd try to find my This was before I had a GPS. And I, someone would say, oh, come to my house. It's over here. And I'd, I'd I just got so frustrated about getting lost. They'd say, follow the orange belt, and, you know, I would miss the event because it was so incomprehensible. So I began to, I learned to just say, look, why don't I drive with you? Why don't you drive, And maybe if we need to take two cars, why don't you drive in the car ahead of me? And I learned to really follow the car ahead of, me, ahead of me if I needed to get somewhere. And that is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to them, you don't need to know the address. I'm dri- I'm the car in front of you. Just keep your eyes open and tail me, follow me, and you'll you'll make it. You'll find me. Uh, there's a place for you, and I've gone to prepare it. So um, we can't. We don't know the way by knowing the GPS coordinates. Um, we just follow Jesus. We follow the car in front of us. And so Jesus' words: "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." And you might wonder, well, why, Deborah, on our outline, why did you put? Grace Episcopal Church in New York City circa 2001. Well when I was um, when I was actually 22 and I'd moved to New York City after college of course I moved to New York City you know outwardly it was so I could follow pursue an acting acting career. The real reason was because my sister had had the first of my now 10 nieces and nephews. And my third, he's 13 now, he's a—he's like this tall, he's, it's so scary. Um, but he was this adorable, sweet little baby and I wanted to be a part of his life. And so i I moved to New York City, she was living in New York City, we both lived in New York City. It was a really sweet time in my life where I got to spend so much time with him and he and I have a special bond because of it now. Um, so there I was in New York, and I was visiting my sister's church. She went to Grace Episcopal Church, which, if you know, that was um, it's a church in Union Square in New York City, and um, Bishop Allison was the rector there, I think in the 80s or 90s, and Paul Zoll was his assistant rector,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is so odd, a little fun fact. Um, and then what had happened re- more recently, um, what had happened was that um, they kind of lost some of their leadership, they'd moved on to other churches, and they began to really decline, and um, they had a rector who was really wonderful, and then she moved out to New Jersey and took a church there. And so they had, the, the diocese came in and basically put in its own leadership, had an interim process, and then when they never found a new clergy person to be their rector, the, the diocese just continued to plug in its own leadership. And so, the character of the church changed a little bit. and It was interesting for me sitting in the pews because I felt like there was a different message that was being preached. I got to be there during that transition, and it was troublesome, um, I found, even before I even knew theologically why. Um, but so in those days, instead of having a fancy phone, of course, I had my first cell phone ever, which was a flip phone. And I didn't really know how to turn the ringer off. And there I was sitting in the worship service, and he started to talk about this passage this um, this priest, and he was talking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life and his whole premise, the premise of his sermon was, well, we know that Jesus couldn't have ever said this because we know that there are many ways to God and many paths to God, and so we have because we know that that was his primary assertion because we know that there are many ways to God, then we have to re-examine Jesus' words here. It's, you know, he, he just didn't know that there were other ways to God. He just didn't realize it. And so do you know what happened? I know, that was my, my face. I'm sitting there like, what do I do? Someone at that very moment decided to call me, and my phone started ringing, <laughs> ringing, ringing, and I didn't know how to turn it off. But I was also like, I'll just keep ringing. <laughs> And I just let let it ring. I was very rude, and I just let it ring. Because I just just was so... I was so thrown apart by what he was saying because I'd never heard someone say that about Scripture, and I didn't believe it. So what is this about Jesus? This is one of the toughest claims within our culture today for people to grasp. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? Well, Jesus... Sorry, I'm going to. I'm remembering that I have this great quote to read for you, so I'm going to read it so you can enjoy it with me. Jesus is asserting in strong terms the uniqueness and the sufficiency of his work for men. We should not overlook the faith involved both in the. So he's asserting his uniqueness. He alone is the way. And he's also, this person is going on to say, we should not overlook the faith involved both in the utterance and in the acceptance of those words. Jesus had faith to say those words, and as we hear those words, we, um, we have to have faith to believe them. Um, we, can't, we can't just... Um, it requires faith to say, Jesus said this, and he meant it. Um, and then he goes on to say, these words were spoken on the eve of the crucifixion. Jesus says, I am the way. Um, this is said by the one who would shortly hang impotent on a cross. I am the truth, when the lies of evil men were about to enjoy a spectacular triumph. I am the life, when within a few hours his corpse would be placed in a tomb. This is the essence of Christianity. Um, this is um, this is what we believe. If you can if you can bear it, this is what we believe. And so, why is this the very heart of Christianity? Why Jesus? Why is Jesus the way the truth and the life? Well, if you you know there is a phrase that I hear a lot from a lot of people, well there are many paths up the mountain, up the mountain. You know, which is so interesting because the word way in the Greek is I'm going to write it. I think it's hodos. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's also road, right? And it's also path, which is so it's less eloquent for Jesus to to say I'm on the road, <laughs> on the lane, on the boulevard. Um, Jesus is the way. And when you look at that that idea of the many paths up the mountain, there are two things that people have said to me that, that really helps me with that image and helps me understand how, what other people believe about that image. So a lot of people believe that each um, religion, each world religion, has um, the equal ability to get you to the place where you need to go, to get you into relationship with God, to get you into a place where you're spiritually aware, where you're looking at um, being transformed so that you can be a blessing to people around you and it's true there are a lot of themes in, you know, in other religions that are um, looking at that. But, um, but essentially two things about that. I heard one person say once and this was very helpful to me, um, well yes there are many paths up the mountain but that still gets you to the top of the mountain. What about into relationship with a holy God? How does a sinful people get into relationship with a holy God um, when God's holiness is so all consuming? Um, So there's that. And then um, the second thing, which is true, how can um, we get into relationship with God? And that is almost, that's the impossible. That's a miracle. That requires a miracle. That requires the ability to fly once you get to the top of the mountain. So how do we fly? Um, So there's that. And then also, um, one of my favorite bands, <laughs> bands, has um, a very active and vocal lead singer, and so that's the band U2. And Bono is quoted as having said once to a journalist why he believes in Christianity, why, when there are so many other options, he has not only um, uh, believed as a young man, he be- he became a Christian when he was in middle school in North I- North Ireland. Why did he become a Christian, and then? And then why is he still a Christian? What he says essentially is that all of the world religions other than Christianity have have wonderful checklists to do. They have ways for you to climb up the ladder to get closer to God. But they still don't have a way to deal with the darkness inside. To deal with sin and then the effects of sin in the world. The suffering, the evil that we see. Um, the problems in, within the world, um, the systemic problems of sin and darkness in our world. And he says that only Jesus, only the death of God's own Son, can atone for the guilt within our own hearts, can begin to transform us from the inside out and to transform our wills. So that the, the to-do list, the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, that outward part of God's commandment of loving your neighbor, can only be established and only happen truly when our hearts are transformed from the inside and the only way our hearts are transformed is from that vertical component of god's love for us made manifest in his son jesus um, crucified and risen from the dead so it's that offering of god's own self that love within god's self that's poured out upon a sinful and broken people while we're still enemies while we stay forget you god I don't really need you in my life, or I'm doing just fine, thank you, I'll, I'll visit you just on Sundays, I, that's really good, that's enough for me, um, I don't need any more, um, rather um, when we're broken and fallen and we can recognize it, when we see our own mistakes, that's when um, we're able to receive all that God's done for us, and that transformation begins on from the inside out. Um, so Bana said those things. That, that is, um, we need a lifeline. And God reaches down and brings us up from the top of the mountain and says, hey, come on up here. I really like you, and I want to spend some time with you. And I've made it possible because I'm the way, the truth, yeah. and the life. Mary okay.
1: um, it just to me. Read the and Joe gives the message about you. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's really oh, yeah. Okay. Okay
0: it really is you're right he did a really wonderful job with just helping us understand that the the humility within God's own self it's amazing you know Karl Barth who's one of the don't even try to read him and it gives you a headache but it's so beautiful if you can just sit with I sit with one of his sentences and I'm awestruck he's this incredible theologian from the 20th century and his big picture point about God he says well what is the substance of divinity what is God like well, is God in inapproachable, in inaccessible light, and majesty, and glory, and awesomeness? Yes, but his very character is made known and made manifest to us in Jesus Christ, in the fact that God has humbled himself. Um, and so it's not in his glory and his exaltation that we know um, so much about him, but rather it is in about his character. It's rather in his humility, in his condescension. So I think you're right. Yeah, and Gordon.
1: You know, as inaccessible as God is, He is so individual and so private between you and Him I because know. of our prayers.
0: Because of Jesus. And
1: we don't have to answer a telephone, yeah. or call anybody up. He's just right there.
0: Right. Because, and we're looking at this in the next few verses, because Jesus has laid down His life, there's the way is open. It's like the call lines are open from a telemarketer. Our call, the call lines are open. We're ready and waiting to receive your call. Because of Jesus, God is ready and waiting to receive our call, our prayers. We have a direct line. Right to the Father's ear, as Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father, having interceded for us, continuing to intercede for us. Jesus prays for us, and His prayers have power. Um, So, any other questions before we look at the rest? A little rest of our verses here. It's it's a hard word. This is the question to ask ourselves: Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Is He? um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Please.
1: Is this Mm -hmm. the way universalists feel? I mean. Universalists, don't they feel like everybody in the end will be mm-hmm. given a reprieve?
0: Or? Well, yeah, there's this sense of, well, and, and the universalists look at God's judgment and his mercy, and we see, you know, all throughout scripture, God's mercy, it just wins. Uh, you know, and one of the most famous current universalists is uh, Rob Bell, and his whole, one of his books is called Love Wins. It's interesting, and there are some hints of it in Scripture, but we can't just rest in that and say that because then we won't um, we won't heed Jesus' words when he's saying to the crowd in chapter 12, now, come and believe. Now is the time to believe. Don't put it off because you don't know. Don't put it off. And that's why there's this sense of urgency um, in Jesus' voice when he's talking to the crowds. Believe now because we don't, you know, there will be a time for judgment. And so we have to understand, you know, God's judgment and his mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, and we see his mercy trumping judgment in the fact that Jesus is even a part of our lives, that Jesus is sent by the Father, and so there is that sense. But yes, universalism says, well, at the last, you know, in the end, God is going to give everyone a chance, one more last chance to believe in him, and everyone will say yes. It's so irresistible. Everyone will say yes. Yeah. So we don't don't know. We don't see anywhere where it says in Scripture.
1: That the case.
0: Don't decide now. (laughs) Just wait till the end because you'll have one last chance. Scripture is always saying. Now. Now.
1: Well, you're missing the blessing. The longer you put it off, the less blessing you get.
0: There is that sense. You know, there does feel to be an injustice if you're walking out the Christian faith now. And you said, now I've made a decision for God. Now I'm following Jesus. And then you see someone who, at the very end of their life, has one of those deathbed profession of faith, professions of faith. It's really tempting to say, oh, "Gee, I really wish you know that's a, they, had, they got to have fun and do whatever they wanted." And then all that's, they have to do that's is one say, of
1: the "Parables, Jesus parables about the workers." You're right. Good, Gordon. Yeah. Some of them worked eight hours mm-hmm. and some just worked like thirty mm-hmm. minutes. So, and the, and they, their, got the same. and they all got the
0: same? And what's the response of the ones who had worked longer?
1: <laughs> not there. I know. I know. But there
0: is this. There is. You're right. There is a blessing, actually, in following Jesus now. There is that great blessing, and so there is this sense of missing out if we decide to follow our own wills and put ourselves on, you know, that throne of lordship in our heart, and you know, that sense of idolatry. Well, what are you going to do today? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. do. I'm going to do whatever I want to do because there's no guiding principle. There's no one else who can speak into my life and say, well, maybe you should do these things. <laughs> There's no sense of authority and God's authority in our lives. So that that, that that can make a life feel like chaff for a long bit. Okay. Anything else before we move on? We have four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Philip's, um, Philip's misunderstanding and ours is, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Philip has this misunderstanding, and it's so funny throughout John's gospel, all these people have these misunderstandings, and when Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us, what is your personal reaction when you hear that? Are you, like me, like Philip? 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 (laughs) Haven't you been paying attention? (laughs) But John is doing this intentionally, because he gives us this privileged information, then he has people ask these questions so we can say ooh, "Ooh, i know the answer and and that's good because it makes us draws it draws us closer to jesus because we say oh we know the answer you and the father are one how did philip miss this but poor philip but um he missed it and jesus says to him ha, jesus's patience is so incredible have i been with you so long and you still do not know me philip whoever has seen me has seen the Father." how can you say show us the father do you not believe that i am in the father and the father is in me the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does his works we get this great image of God, um, the relationship between jesus and the father that there is this sense of i jesus saying i am in the father and the father's in me and there's this circular unity between the two of them and also with the Holy Spirit, when you have it's like three balls being juggled in here, that they're all together um, in it. They're all in it, and that there is this intimacy of relationship between each member of the Trinity and such an intimacy of relationship that they um, lovingly, each one lovingly sacrifices on behalf of the other. And as the early um, as the early church sought to understand the Trinity, one of the most beautiful images, and I've used it before, used to understand well what is What is the nature of divinity Um, if we have a triune God? Well, the nature of divinity and the substance of their actual unity is this fact of their love for each other, this self-sacrificing love for each other that says, no, after you, you have your way, you be in the spotlight, Jesus. No, you go, Holy Spirit. No, let the Father be glorified. And there's this love and giving to each other that is like a dance. And in that loving self offering, that is the substance of the unity. and it's the same like same kind of unity that God gives us in marriage that a man and woman would say to each other for their entire life, "No, after you dear. No, you have your way. No, you have your way, and it's that sacrifice for the other person that um, creates this bond that's stronger than death. Um, many waters cannot quench love. It's stronger than death, as it says in Song of Songs. And so there's this sense in which the love within the Godhead is stronger than death. It is so strong, and that love is um, a part, that's what makes them one, makes the Trinity one. So I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And so believing in Jesus and seeing Jesus is the same as believing in the Father and seeing the Father. And then Jesus goes on to talk about this faith and to talk about this belief. Those who believe in Jesus will do the works that he does. He's now focusing on the works, the signs, the miracles, believe it or not. And he's saying that those who believe in Jesus will do even greater works. Well, why? How is that even possible? little teaser pentecost because the holy spirit is poured out upon all those who believe in jesus and so even as you see in those early chapters of acts the the disciples start going out and as they go out they're empowered by god and empowered by the holy spirit to do these incredible things in all of these places all around the known world then and if you think about it today i heard one statistic today that there are more christians in the world today not so much in North America and Europe, now in the Latin, Latin America, in Asia, um, all in the southern hemisphere, in the third world, there are so many Christians today that there are more Christians alive today than there have been um, throughout all the past 19th centuries combined. Isn't that mind-boggling? Greater works. Because there are more people united to Christ and the whole, more people who have the Holy Spirit to do works of love. And even, I say, yeah, I you know, sometimes God can do a miracle through a believer. And, it, and the glory goes to the Father. Um, and we never get to say when or why or how or what, but it's been known to happen, and I believe that. And then there's this question, so I'm opening up all these um, big things right before we go. Then the final question is, whatever whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, is this full license to ask, um, Jesus, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? (laughs) Well, the answer to that is no, of course not. But that, why? Jesus says anything. Is this a blank check? Well, um, if we know Jesus, if we believe in him, then we know him well enough to know what he desires for us and what he desires for those around us and what he desires for the world. And so there's this sense of knowing God, knowing Jesus, knowing um, and obeying. And in that sense of knowing, believing, and obeying, we we understand his character. We begin to understand his will and we can pray according to his will. So as we pray according to his will, he he accomplishes it. But we do need to ask. There is this urgency to pray that that actually brings us continues to um, bolster our relationship and keeps us in communication with jesus and with the father and allows us to have a window in on what god is doing in the world and in a sense have some small part we have a small part to play um, but a part no less in what god is doing in the world and so we ask jesus and because of his death which was about to happen the next day all of this is possible All all of this intercession, all of these greater works, um, the faith, and then even for us as individuals, the place that we can look forward to um, in heaven with Jesus. So let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we look to you, and we ask, just as you have paved the way for us into relationship with the Father, we ask now that you would um, go before us, even as we go out from here, that you would direct our paths, Um, that you would be that car right in front of us um, showing us where to go and what to do and what to say. Um, We are yours because we believe in you. And so we ask that you would continue to transform us into your glory, into um, your likeness, and that you would use us mightily in the lives of those around us, all for your glory's sake and for the benefit of those we love and those we don't yet know. So we ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. Amen.